just gets sweeter all the time. It really does. You know, I don't know if it makes any sense or not, but the more bitter the world gets, the more sweeter home gets to me. Sure does. Get a little homesick for heaven. Go the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace, Lord, that surpasses all our comprehension. We thank you, Lord, for your love and your mercy. Lord, there's no one that deserves you. But it's by your grace, Lord, that we'll be seeing you in heaven, that we'll gather around your great eternal throne. And we'll worship you beyond countless days. Oh, Lord, what a beautiful place that we know that lies ahead. Lord, as we travel in the wilderness of this old world, we pray that, God, we can just catch a vision, a heavenly vision. And Lord, may we know that it's sweet, it's going to be glorious and perfect, it's going to be awesome. God, we pray for those that are lost and undone without God, those that are heartbroken because of loss, maybe a loss of life, or loss of a child, or a bad report from a physician. God, we know that you're all-powerful, you're all-knowing, you're more than enough, you're more than capable, and we know, Lord, in the good times and the bad times, you're still God. And Lord, as your church, we trust you. And whatever, whatever circumstances that we, we may have to face in life, Lord, we know that you can be trusted. And Lord, we gather here tonight in, your, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, may your word settle in our hearts and in our minds. And Lord, may we live in accordance and in obedience to you. But Lord, it's because of you that we live and it's because of you that we gather tonight. We worship you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Jesus' miracles in uh, John's gospel are sometimes referred to as the hard miracles. God is a hard miracle worker. God can work things that man can't even begin. You know, man can do some pretty miraculous things because God has given him the ability, he's given him the mind, he's given him the hands and the ability to, uh, to learn things and do things. But the miracles in uh, John's gospel... They are referred to as hard miracles oftentimes. He, you know, he, he turns the water into wine, as we've already um, looked at. He heals a boy from a distance, uh, the, a uh, centurion's son. He healed him, and he heals a man who has not uh, walked in over three decades there at the pool of Bethesda. If those miracles are not spectacular enough, the miracles in John 6 are breathtaking. But then Jesus feeds 5,000 people with a few pieces of, or a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And a few hours later, he walks on the Sea of Galilee during a very violent storm. And as we've seen before, Jesus, Jesus works his miracles in a way that oftentimes people don't expect. 
God does His best work when life circumstances are the most difficult. When things seem hopeless, and you may be listening tonight, here or over the internet, you may feel hopeless. You're in good company. We've all had our times that we felt hopeless. Oftentimes in this flesh, we feel hopeless because in the flesh, we don't have very much power. We have a will. We have a want to, but God has the final say. The atmosphere around the Lord Jesus Christ here in uh, chapter by chapter 7 is becoming increasingly tense. Uh, chapter 6 concludes with the defection of many of his disciples, those that walked with him, those who, who, uh, who talked with him and saw the miracles, and he saw the defection of them you know, because many walked away. Many turned away, and the Bible says that they followed him no more. And John 6, 6 says, and 6, 66 says, As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew, and they were not walking with him anymore. Pastor Steve, I could settle right there on that one verse, and we could preach all night long on into next week. Many proclaiming to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, walk with him no more. Christians in name only. You've heard of rhinos, Republicans in name only. I believe there are C-O-I-Ns, Christians or C-I-O-Ns, Christians in name only, or maybe I've got that backwards. But many of his, his disciples withdrew and they walked from, with him no more. Seeing the, the massive exodus, the massive exiting of these disciples, those who followed Jesus, they were close, but they weren't as close as his inner circle. Jesus turns to his close disciples in John six sixty seven. He says, you do not go away also, do you? Simon Peter said to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered him, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon, or the Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So passing from the preceding discourse of our Lord Jesus Christ here in chapter 6, John chapter 7 takes a brief pause in the revelation of who this Jesus is and shifts to the, react, uh, to the reactions of the various groups who were claiming uh, uh, or, or to his claims of, of deity. Let me, let me say that again. Let me say that again. Now, passing from the preceding discourse of our Lord in chapter 6, Jesus takes a brief pause in, in revealing who, uh, who he is. And now we're going to see the reaction of the various groups, various groups of people who are angry because he claimed to be deity. John chapter 7, verse 1 says, After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. After all the miracles he's done, after all of the, of the wonderful things that he's done, the feeding of the people, 
the healing of people, the many good deeds that he's done, many that are not even recorded here in the book of John, many miracles. Now the people here in Judea wanted to kill him. They wanted to murder him. The events described in chapter 6 took place around the time of the Jewish Passover feast. There are three of those a year. There are three feasts a year. But this particular feast, feast, it takes place in April. Now notice here in verse 1 it begins, After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee. So from the time of Passover, the Passover uh, to, the, to the now approaching uh, Feast of Booths or of Tabernacles, about six months have passed between chapter 6 and chapter 7. Now, you wouldn't know that if you didn't, if you didn't know the, the timing between the different feasts. But John records nothing about that six-month interval except that Jesus spent it walking in Galilee. Jesus spent that time walking in Galilee. And undoubtedly, this means he that his travels and his ministering stayed within the Galilean region, in the bounds of Galilee. Now, however, the other three Gospels give more insight of John's travels in Galilee, more miracles performed, including healing and casting out of demons. But most of the six months, however, were spent discipling the twelve. He spent time teaching the twelve. Did you know that's what a doctor, the, the, the term doctor means is a teacher. That's a teacher. I, want, I thought I wanted to be a medical doctor. I wasn't smart enough, so maybe I can be a doctor, a doctor Daryl, in this capacity. But I'd rather be called brother, by the way. In Jesus' day, Galilee and Judea, they were separate jurisdictions. We, we talked about that earlier where uh, Galilee was up in the north and you had Samaria here uh, midways and then down in the south you've got Judea. Um, but Jesus is, in Jesus' day, um, they, were, they were two separate um, uh, jurisdictions and here Jesus is, he's located in the northern part of Israel, uh, there in, in, the, in, in the northern part and here in the, in the southern part in the south is Judea and it's the region of Samaria that, that's in between. And for, for someone in trouble during that time, being in one rather than this one was safer. If you, were, if you had trouble over there, you were better over here. If you had trouble over here, you were better over there. It was, it, you were safer uh, to a degree. But Jesus was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. You see, their hostility had reached a high point or a higher point. Uh, the more that he talked, the more they were rebuked, and the more they were appalled. When I say they, I'm talking about the Jewish leaders. They were appalled at what Jesus was saying. He's already claiming to be the Son of God. He's already already claiming to have come from heaven. He's already claiming to be the bread and the water, or or the, uh, the, the bread and the, yeah, the water, the living water. So these accusations to them was blasphemy. Here this man Jesus says, we know his father, we know his mother, we know his brothers. And he's claiming to be the very son of God. So the hostility had reached the point where the Jewish leaders wanted him dead, and Jesus knew it. Jesus knew it all along. That's why he often said, my time is not yet. My time is not yet come. His time for what? His time to go to the cross. 
But Jesus was acting at all times in accordance to God's will. He was on God's timeline. He was, he was, he was always about the Father's business. So he was doing things in accordance to the way the Father had him do. He said, he, as a matter of fact, he didn't come to do his own will, but he came to do the will of the Father. And that should be your will and my will, church, is to do the will of the Father. Jesus was a perfect example for you and for me. It's not, well, Jesus lived like that. I don't have to live like that. Jesus was a perfect example of what his church is to be. We are are a reflection. We are to be a reflection in a dark and evil world of Christ. But Jesus, he avoided the area of Judea until the moment was right. And it wasn't because of fear. It was because the right moment had not arrived. Now, John chapter 6, or John chapter 7, verse 2 says, Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of the booths, was near. Now, what is the feast of booths? Now, the feast of booths is also known as the feast of tabernacles, or it's also known as the ingathering. It's one of the most sacred Jewish holidays. And during the seven-day feast, the people built and they lived in tents. They lived in booths. They constructed of branches as their ancestors had done while they were out in the wilderness for 40 years. They were wandering out there. But they were, after they had left in their bondage of Egypt uh, in, in, their, in the rearview mirror. So on the eighth day was a solemn assembly gathered, or uh, it was a solemn assembly according uh, to the ordinance. So the Feast of Tabernacles will again be celebrated. Did you know that? It's going to come again in the Millennial Kingdom. Let me say that again. The Feast of Tabernacle will again be celebrated in the Millennial Kingdom. That's the thousand-year reign when, when, uh, when uh, um, all things w- will be made new, new heavens and new earth. Now look at this. Zechariah 14, 16 says, Then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and celebrate the Feast of Booths. And it it will be that that whichever of the families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. If the family of Egypt does not go up or enter, then no rain will fall on them. It will be the plague with which the Lord smites the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booths. This was the punishment of Egypt, the punishment of all the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles will again be celebrated in the millennial millennial kingdom in honor of the Messiah dwelling with his people when his people are finally with him, the ingathering of the nations into his great kingdom. John 7, 3 says, Therefore his brother said to him, Leave here and go into Judea, so that your disciples also may see your works, which you're doing. Now, Jesus had four half-brothers. One's name was James. The other's name was Joseph. One's name was Simon. And one's name was 
subdued. So he also had some half-sisters that are not even named in the Bible. But since all Jewish males were required to attend the feast, Jesus' brothers, they assumed that he would soon leave Galilee and that he would go into Judea. Now notice in this verse, Jesus' brothers said to him, look at this, leave here. Now, this is not just a suggestion. They really want him to leave here and go into Judea. Now, it seems as if, as if Jesus' brothers were self-appointed campaign managers here. Their advice was about gaining attention. They wanted to put him in a place where he could gain the most attention, perhaps for, for their own good, perhaps for their own benefit, perhaps for ill motives. But they wanted Jesus to go down where he could be seen. They had seen his miracles, and they had heard his teachings, and they had witnessed uh, a miraculous number of disciples withdraw or fall away from him and they were no, who were no longer walking with him. But Jesus' four brothers, they were not yet willing to believe. Did you know that? They walked with him. His own brothers were not willing to believe him. Can you imagine? They're still following along with him. They knew the crowd of followers that he had. They knew the miracles that he had done, but his very own brothers... You see, that tells us that just because they're kinfolk doesn't necessarily mean they're going to believe. Even if you believe with all your heart, it's not, uh, faith is not, isn't transferred from one to the other in that capacity. So they themselves wanted to see more miracles. They wanted to see more proof out of their brother, half-brother, that is. And the reason they gave, uh, they gave, uh, or the reason that... Uh, they wanted him to leave Galilee and go into Judea was so that his disciples also may see his works, which he is doing. Perhaps they wanted to see him go back and regain some of those followers that had left, some of those who had, who had decided that they couldn't go along with uh, Jesus' um, preaching, his teaching. They were hard sayings eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, things like that. The Son of God, things like that. So they pressed him by saying here in verse 4, John 7, 4, For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. Study on that for just a moment. It says, if you do these things, show yourself to the world. There's that word, Pastor Steve, the if. The ifs and the buts is what we've got to look out for uh, in, the, in the Scriptures. Their words here are, if you'll notice, they're laced with sarcasm. For no one does anything in secret when he seeks, when he himself seeks to be known publicly. Jesus wasn't seeking to be known by the world. He wasn't seeking popularity. He wasn't seeking to be number one in people's, uh, in, in, in people's um, categories of people. He was God, and that's it. There's no comparison. So he is Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. So he's the Lord of the whole earth. He, he, he's not coming to compete with man. So what they're basically saying to him is this. You're never going to get anywhere up here in Galilee. It's just not going to happen. If you want to be king, if you want your recognition, if you want to be loved more, 
You need to go where the action is. You need to go where they can see you, where they can see how wonderful you are. If you want to be king, if you want to be Messiah, you're going to have to go down to Jerusalem. You've got to show them some stuff. Get in there and show them what you can do. Earn their, their trust. There are many that are wanting that today. They want Jesus to earn more. He doesn't have to earn my trust. He doesn't have to earn our trust. He's already paid the price, and it's priceless. It's priceless. They were basically saying, don't hide it under a, under a bushel. You need to let it shine. Do you, want a, do you want a public ministry? Do you, do you want public acclamation? Do you want to be recognized as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a great prophet? Or do you want to be recognized as, as, a great, as the great Messiah or as the great king? You know, they, they, they've already tried to, to capture you and crown you and make you king. Perhaps his brothers wanted him to yield to that. We're basically saying you must go into the capital city. Their advice to him is to go where he can gain more attraction. Church, woe unto them for trying to gain attraction for Jesus Christ. We don't need more attention. We need to be pointing people to Jesus Christ. It's not about us. It's all about him. They say here, if you do these things, in other words, if you must act like this, show yourself, make yourself known to the world, sounds much like the, the, the mocking unbelief that Jesus faced on the cross. If you're the Son of God, when Satan took him up on the pinnacle and said, if you're the Son of God, prove it. That was Satan's challenge. Told Jesus to throw himself down if you're really who you say you are. But here's brothers were saying, if you do these things, show yourself to the world. Verse 5 says, for not even his brothers were believing in him. See, that solidifies what I'm saying. His very own brothers, his flesh and blood. That's right. Jesus' his own half-brothers didn't believe. They didn't, they didn't adhere or trust in him wholeheartedly. They were followers in the sense that they were in the same place that he was, but they wasn't followers in the heart. From a certain perspective, this seems like a low point in Jesus' ministry. We learn more about Jesus' isolation and, that, and more about his loneliness. How many of you have ever experienced loneliness? I'm talking about real loneliness. It's okay, raise your hand. I have. I felt pretty alone before, even among people, even among people that love me. You can feel pretty lonely. But Jesus was, was often um, uh, pushed aside. He was often isolated. He often isolated himself. We need to do a little self-isolation too to get away from the crowd, to get away from the people and talk to our Lord, talk to our God. So even his half-brothers had no sincere desire to see the Lord Jesus Christ glorified. 
Earlier in his ministry, their unbelief had led them to think that he had lost his mind. Did you know that? For Jesus to be accused of losing his mind is amazing to me. As wise, they wondered, how did he learn so much? He's untaught. He is untrained. How does he know so much? But look at this. Mark 3, 21 says, when his, when his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, he has lost his senses. In other words, he's out of his mind. He's crazy. Overlook him. His own brothers. Mary, of course, didn't know, didn't think he was crazy. She knew the Apostle Paul was also accused of being out of his mind as well. Festus said, your great learning is driving you mad. Too much learning, too much Bible will make you mad. It'll make you crazy. The world thinks we're just crazy. We're fanatical. We're, we've just lost it. That's okay. They thought Jesus lost it too. They thought Paul had lost it too. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ's day were often treated as fruitcakes. They were treated as lunatics, maniacs, mentally deranged. We hear words like that nowadays, these fancy words that I can't hardly pronounce. Deranged, intolerant. You're some kind of phobic. You're some kind of, you've got some kind of mess, messed up. Gene, something's wrong with you if you believe that Bible. If you actually believe that when you die that there's somewhere better to go to, can you prove it? They don't believe. Because the things of God are foolishness to the world. Pastor Steve was talking this morning, and he nailed it right between the eyes. When he said that you will not make America great again, you won't. I wish I we could make it at least better. But when the church is called out, you have not seen a mess like it's going to be. What is left behind, you don't want to be here. When the church is gone, this place is going to be dangerous. Lawlessness. And we see lawlessness big time in the streets now, all over the news. Lawlessness everywhere. And it's such lawlessness that the laws don't the, the, the law doesn't even want to move in and take care of it. Talk about lunatics. The crazy people have taken over the asylum. Nuts. Who's lost their minds? It's not you and I. It's these people who are trying to compromise and pander and try to get along with this devilish attitude. Well, if we don't accept them, they're going to burn our place down. We better stand firm, church. The church had better grow a backbone and stand for Jesus Christ. And don't fear what man will do to them, but fear standing before a righteous and holy God and giving an account for what they did not do. 
Let it go all over the Internet. That's fine with me. Are you willing to pay the price? And I'm getting totally off subject. But are we willing as, as believers, are we willing to pay the price? Are we willing to stand in the gap and tell the truth even if it hurts? Are we going to whimper and get, get, get behind something? Used to, we'd say, get behind me, Satan. But now we go hide under a rock because we don't want to lose what we have. Because they'll attack your money, they'll attack your job, they'll attack your family, they'll do whatever they can to destroy you. And church, that's a sure sign that we ought to be alive for Jesus Christ. It's a sure sign that we need to wake up out of our slumber and stand for Jesus. I'm waiting for that moment, that twinkling of an eye to occur. I'm waiting to hear the trump of God to carry me home. I hope not to have to go by way of the grave. I hope to just be carried up and be able to look around and see my family and my church, my loved ones, go up together because this is not my home. Write it down. This is not Daryl Key's home. He said it. We're in a wilderness. We're passing through. This is a wilderness. You can't tame a wilderness. It's wild. It's wicked. It's full of the devil. You won't tame it. It is what it's going to be. It's been written, and it's going to happen the way God has planned because he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth, and the new Jerusalem is going to come down to, to, to the new earth. Jesus' brother's attitude towards him was one of extreme concern and embarrassment. They was ashamed of their own brother. They were ashamed. Jesus' brothers would not believe until they saw that he was resurrected from the dead. They saw him on the cross. They saw him buried. And it wouldn't be until after he was resurrected that they come to faith in Jesus Christ, James being one of them. Amen. Come into faith in Jesus Christ. I hope it doesn't take a resurrection for many uh, to believe. John 7, 6 says, So Jesus said to them, My time. I could just hear him. Boys, listen. My time is not yet here. But you're... Your time is opportune. Jesus was in perfect submission to the will of the Father. He wasn't marching to the beat of their drum. He was marching to the beat of the Father. Church, we don't need to march to the beat of the world's drum. We don't need to march to the beat of a, of a, of a movement or of a, of a politician or of a party, a political party, or even of a nation. I love this nation, but I'm of another nation as well. God's nation, God's people. Those are the people that I want to be with. We're blessed to be in this nation. Many people have fought for it. They've died for it. And we're thankful for that. But our home is not here. Please don't, don't, don't drive your stakes too deep here. 
Please don't drive your stakes too deep here. The when and where of Jesus' movement was on the Father's divine timetable. My time, he says, that is, the time of his glory, the time of his glory when I shall come to judge on high is not yet come. But your time, he, that is, your time, that is, the glory of the world is always ready. You got the world, boys. You're on the world's time. I'm not on your time. I'm on the Father's time is what he's saying. So in contrast, his, his, his brother's time was always opportune. You see, they always, they, their motives were worldly and secular. They were lovers of the world rather than lovers of God. They were lovers of themselves. The saints of God, we need to be careful who we listen to, whose advice we listen to. If Jesus had to listen to his brothers, oh, surely you can trust your own brother. Couldn't, he couldn't trust these brothers. He was on his father's time. Jesus' own brothers couldn't, could, have, could, have, uh, could have been a stumbling block. They could have been a stumbling block for Jesus. There are many people who profess to be Christians today, and they may be Christian, but if you listen to them and they're not giving you Bible, you better be careful. You better be careful. Jesus explains to his brothers here in John 7, 7. He says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Now, look at that. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. His brothers are like the unregenerate of our day. They were in the world, and they were of the world. Why is it that the world cannot hate them? Because they were part of it. They were going along with it. There was no resistance. As long as we go along, we won't have a whole lot of trouble. Not a lot of resistance when you're just going along. You know, you're, you're going along with a chain here, and, and there's no resistance as long as you're just going along with it. But when you start going the other way, We don't need to go the easy route. We need to stand firm, dig our heels in, and say, you know what? I'm not going to go along with this even if. Pastor John MacArthur this week wrote a big, long, eloquent letter to the state of California. If you've listened to John MacArthur, he's one of my favorite teachers. I've learned so much under him. And I thank God for using him. But he wrote a long letter to the state of California. That's where his church is. Uh, I think it's down in, uh, where is it, Sun Valley, California? Down in, uh, Anyway, um, he wrote a letter to him, and the letter says, We will not comply to a shutdown of the church any longer. We've went along, and we have tried to go along for some time now. But they're out in, out in bars. They're, they're at other events. They're out protesting in the streets by the hundreds and by the thousands. And we're not going to bow to Caesar. We're going to bow to God. And he tells us in his word, 
to forsake the not. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Well, the court ruled Saturday that that was unconstitutional, and I suppose they were able uh, legally to go to church this morning. But these are, these are times like we've never seen. And these are only little tests of what's to come. It's going to, to become worse and worse and worse. I wish I had some better news for you, but it's, it's not in this world. Your hope is in the Word of God. Your, your hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hope in Christ's fellowship. We're going to fellowship until Christ comes. And our hope is completely in Him. Jesus warns His disciples. Jesus warns His disciples of their relationship to the world. John 15, 19 says, If I were of the world, the world would love His own. But because... You are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. Now, he's not talking to the worldly. He's talking to the church. See the difference? Jesus had told his brothers earlier, he said, they can't hate you. Why? Because you're going along with them. But here... He's talking to the church. He says, because I chose you. I, I, I love that. He, I chose you out of the world because of this. The world hates you. A little jealousy going on, maybe. Jesus reminded his brothers here in John 7, 7. He says, the world cannot hate you because it hates me, because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. You ever notice the world don't want to be told how evil they are? The sin, the, the people who are out in gross sin, they don't want you to tell them, hey, that's a sinful lifestyle. You can't claim to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and be participating in that, in that ungodly sodomy um, activity. Since the world is controlled by Satan, the activities and priorities of the world are sinful indulgence. That's what the world does. The world does not take kindly to being told how to live. Don't judge me. Don't tell me. Who made you judge? Today, if you tell the truth, you're judging in their eyes. If you tell the truth, they despise you. And all that is is to make you shut up and go away, to shame you into standing on the truth. It's not easy standing on the truth. It's not. Jesus is essentially saying to them, you go up safely to the feast, but I will not because I will surely dispute with them by telling them that they do not what they don't want to hear. I'm going to tell them things they don't want to hear. So let me tell you, friend, when, when you, as a follower of Christ, if you're following Christ, it testifies against the world it testifies, it tells who you are to the world, and it tells the world that their deeds are evil. As, a, as the church, as a born-again believer, the world does not like you. Oh, well, I'm not a preacher. I didn't say a preacher. They hate preachers, but they don't like Christian people either. They don't. 
I want you to know, like Jesus, you're going to witness hatred. If you take a firm stand, you're going to witness uh, uh, animosity. I hope, you wear the ba- I hope you'll wear that with a badge of honor. In this day and age, if we're, if we're not despised by the world, something is wrong. We need to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. I think the church has done such a disduty by not taking a firm stand against sin. Whether it empties the church house or not, we need to stand firm against sin. I, I have to stand before God just like everybody else and give an account for everything that I say. And if I tell you it's okay, just go on and live life how you want to. God's got you covered. Jesus Christ died on the cross for all mankind. The whole world is saved. We're all going to live life to the fullest here, and we're all going to heaven. But that won't do anybody any good because it's a lie, and it'll send me to the hot part of hell. Count it all joy to suffer for the sake of Christ. Count it all joy. The condition is this. The unrepentant sinners love their sin. They love themselves. They love their pleasures more than loving God. We can put 14 signs all over Monterey. They won't come to church because they don't love God. Don't get on your hands and knees and beg people to come to church. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. If they don't come for Jesus Christ, they won't come for you. If you can talk them into coming, someone else can talk them out. We need people who are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, that are sold out to Jesus Christ. That's what this church and every other church needs, people who are sold out for Christ, who have taken up their cross, and they're following him. Lord, have mercy. We need men like that today. Preachers that will stand and tell the truth. Lord, help us all. Give us strength. Give us boldness. This is what we're faced with. This is what the church is faced with. And God is not one bit surprised. God is not one bit surprised. His disciples, they were faced with much, much, much worse than you and I have been faced with. Crucified upside down, beheaded, burned at the stake. There were some that were, that were uh, dropped into hot, tire, hot tar, died a gruesome death. Brother Stephen, he was stoned for telling the truth. And as he was dying, he asked the Lord to not lay the charge upon them. Lord, forgive them. The hearts of many have grown cold. I want to be faithful like that too. I want to be faithful like Stephen. I want to be faithful like John the Baptist. And I want you to be faithful too. Not just me, but all of us. Faithful to the end. Oh, well, I'll be faithful as long as God blesses me. As long as He gives me what I want. I'll be faithful as long as He gives me favor. 
No, you'll be faithful if you're, the, if you're the real deal. You'll be faithful. You'll be faithful when no one's looking. You'll still be faithful. But we're faced with so much animosity today, and it's only going to grow worse and worse. Men's hearts have grown cold. Immorality is, 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 on, is on the rise. The whole, uh, uh, all of uh, the, uh, well, morality is, is in a spiral downward uh, uh, flow, and there, there, there's very little respect among the elder, uh, towards the elders, towards women. We see all of this. They've grown cold, and the time has come for the church to stop being indifferent and saying, oh, just come on over here. We'll take you in any old way. Stand firm on the truth. Stand firm on the authority of God's Word. And tell all who will, even if they're offended, tell them the truth. Anytime a Christian opens their mouth, anytime they utter the words of biblical correction, they're going to be offended anyway. Don't put your Bible up. Pull it out. Let them see it. Let them see that they're not going to change you. Jesus told his disciples, his unbelieving brothers here in John 7, 8, he says, go up to the feast yourselves. Go on up there yourselves. I do not go up to this feast because my time is not yet fully come. Having said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. He was not saying that he would not attend the feast at all. He didn't want to go up there with them. He didn't want to go up there and be a showpiece with them. He wouldn't go in the manner that his brothers wanted him to go in. They wanted to see him glorified, and they wanted to see the, the expression of people on people's faces when they saw the miracles that my brother can do. Look at this, and it's going to help me out. Nor would they allow the Jewish leaders to take his life because his time had not yet fully come. Jesus, When Jesus laid down his life six months later, six months down the road, he, he's going to lay down his life. It would be at the very moment God had predetermined. There's an appointed time for man wants to die. There's an appointed time for everyone to die. And after this, the judgment. We know it's coming. There's a predetermined, God knows when and where and how specifically. No death is by accident. That's a bold statement, but no death is by accident. God has it all planned out. He's sovereign. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's everywhere at one time. He, he, he is all in all, the Alpha and the Omega, the A to Z. That's the kind of God that we serve. When things are out of our hands, they're in a perfect place. They're in His hands. So when Jesus did lay down His life, it would be at the very moment that God predetermined Thus, having said this, or having said these things to his brothers, it says he stayed in Galilee for a little while. Verse 10 says, but when his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he himself went up, not publicly, but as if in secret. Now, a large number of Jews would customarily uh, go up together. They would go up into, uh, to Jerusalem in a, large, in a large crowd. And Jesus' brothers would, would more than likely follow this same kind of custom. They would join up with some other guys, and they would go up there to the feast rejoicing, uh, uh, going up to the tabernacle together. 
By delaying his departure until after his brothers had gone to the feast, Jesus was able to go up to Jerusalem non-publicly, but as if in secret. Verse 11 says, So the Jews were seeking him at the feast and were saying, Where is he? They wanted to know where he was. The Jews wanted to know where he was. There's a lot of whispering going on there in the city of Jerusalem. Where's he at? He should be here by now. The feast is starting. Where's he at? There are three, three questions that the Jews are asking. Where is he? Who is he? And what is he doing? Where is he? Who is he? And what is he doing? There were certainly mixed motives among the crowd that day. They wanted to know where he is. Where is this man named Jesus? Some wanted to see his miracles performed. Some wanted, wanted to, to, to take him by force and make him king. And yes, there were those who wanted to take him by force and kill him. They wanted him dead. All expected this Jesus to be present. They looked for him. They must have been surprised when it first seemed that he was going to be absent. But verse 12 says, There was much grumbling among, among the crowds concerning him. Some were saying, He is good. He's a good man. Others were saying, No, on the contrary, he leads people astray. The leaders were not only the ones discussing Jesus' absence. It's clear with the whispering. It's clear with the murmuring uh, that, that it was uh, creating quite a stir among the crowds. More and more, the miracles were, 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 uh, were that they were looking for the miracles to be performed. They were compelled by his miracles. They wanted to see what this man named Jesus could do so that they could make up their minds as to who he really was. Is he or is he not? Was he or was he not? Will he or will he not? There was an undercurrent of conversation at the feast as to whether he was a genuine or a false prophet. Some said he is a good man. Others said no. On the contrary, he leads the people astray. Now, according to the law, leading God's chosen people astray from the true God, from the one true God, to worship idols or to worship false gods would carry with it a penalty of death by stoning. Read back in the book of Deuteronomy, and you'll find it back there. So this may explain why they had determined that Jesus needed to be killed. Because, yes, he was being accused as being a false prophet. He was being accused of leading people astray. So they determined they wanted to kill him. For Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, and he had told man to take up his bed and walk, thereby causing someone else to break the Sabbath. That was punishable by death as well. Jesus had also claimed to be the Son of God, which would, which would be considered blasphemy had it not been true. He was God. He is God. But they didn't believe it. Therefore, it was blasphemy in their eyes. So for, for the support of this idea, according to Mark, Jesus was, was, uh, was uh, taken to the courtyard of the high priest, where the high priest asked him here in Mark 14, 61, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? 
And Jesus said to him, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with clouds of heaven, tearing his clothes. You imagine he's so angry, he's tearing his own clothes. Boy, that's throwing a fit, ain't it, Steve? I ain't ever done that. I pulled my hair. That's crazy, isn't it? I shouldn't reveal that. That may be worse than tearing your clothes, fellas. People. Wow. He didn't know when to. Anyway, bless him. Verse 36 says, he was tearing his clothes. The high priest said, what further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. You see, this is over there in Mark. This substantiates what I've said. His blasphemy, because of his supposed blasphemy, they wanted him dead. And according to, uh, of course, they were, they were taking out of context, but according to uh, the Old Testament Deuteronomy, that was the proper thing to do, was to stone the man. Was as absurd as it may sound, sadly, the prevailing view of Jesus among the majority of the Jewish people was that he was a deceiver of the people. John 7, 13 says, Yet no one was speaking openly of him for fear of the Jews. A lot of fear going on. A lot of fear going on in those days. They were, they were afraid of what the Jews might do to them. A lot of fear in the world today because they're afraid of what might become of them if they profess to be true believers in Christ. A lot of fear. We sing a song around here that says that fear is a liar. Fear in that capacity truly is a liar. There's only one thing that we need to fear, and that's God. God Almighty is the one that we need to fear. Even though it was unmistakably clear that the authorities rejected Jesus, the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin, they had not yet rendered a formal judgment regarding Jesus. In other words, they hadn't determined if he was the real deal or not. The people, therefore, they were careful to guard their words until the official response was made of the Sanhedrin. The consequences for publicly contradicting their religious leaders would carry the punishment of excommunication. So they didn't want to be excommunicated. Many of us, we don't want to be excommunicated from our jobs. We don't want to be excommunicated from our uh, friends or from our community. So we keep our faith quiet. Keep it to ourselves. Almost like don't ask, don't tell used to be. Now they're coming out of the woodwork. Tell them all. Be happy about it. Church will accept you. We got them trained now. We got them dumbed down and quietened down. The truth. Stand with me, if you will. That may not be the best note to leave on, but that's, that's as far as I've got. We'll pick up next week. The premise of our message tonight is that do we believe to the extent that we're willing to follow Christ regardless of um, what it may, how it may affect us, regardless of what it may do to us? Are you willing to stand when you're tested? when you're tried and tested. And uh, I believe you will. You're here on Sunday night, and that's a pretty good indication. Many of the church, you can't get them to come on Sunday night. 
Pastor, you need a hush, but that's just it's the truth. We love the Lord. We need to be in church. We need to be among His people. We need to be where the words are being preached instead of home with our feet propped up watching television. Amen. If you're watching this on Facebook, we love you anyway, but we'd like for you to be here if you're able. Tell the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for our church. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to speak in this place. That the, the, These people give me an opportunity. They come in and they sit down and they endure what I have to say. And, Lord, I believe it's the word with all my heart. And, Lord, I just thank you for a loving church, for people who, who are compassionate and they love you and they love one another and they support one another and all the works and things that we have going on in this church and the... Uh, and the, uh, t- and the togetherness that we have here, Lord, we're just so thankful. Lord, we would love to see these pews filled, but, Lord, you're going to have to send them. We're gonna, you're going to have to put that, that, that burning and yearning desire in their hearts to hear the Word of God. Lord, we pray they'll come. They'll come and, and get hungry for the Word because, Lord, I believe there's going to come a time, according to your Word, that the Word will not be preached from these, these pulpits any longer because the church is going to be gone. And what's left behind are going to be those who some are going to even be looking for the word and not be able to hear it. So, God, we just pray. We know that you're going to come like a thief in the night. We know you're going to come in a time when people are not expecting it. And, Lord, it seems like we're in that time today that people are not, are not looking for your return. They've heard it so long and their ears are so dull to it. Matter of fact, they've turned from you and then they're watching uh, the internet, they're watching YouTube, they're on Facebook, they're doing selfish, selfish selfies, they're doing things that, that, that uplifts themselves rather than, than being humble, as Pastor Steve was preaching this morning about humility. Lord, that's what we need. We need humility. We need to be humble. We need to be servants of you. Oh, God, give us a hunger. Give us a true, hot, red-hot desire. And fill this place up, Lord, with your people. Fill it up with your glory. And, Lord, fill it up with holiness, Lord, and may we be a light in the darkness of these times that we live. Lord, we praise you for your, for your goodness and mercy and grace. Thank you, Lord, for, for dying on the cross of Calvary and making a way that we could come before a righteous and holy God and be acceptable to him. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for what you've gone to prepare. And we know you're coming again to receive us unto yourself, that where you are, there will be also how wonderful that's going to be. Father, we thank you. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all have a glorious week.